Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. Our team worked hard to put this sermon together with you in mind, and we hope it helps you take your next step with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning. Um, Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 5, verse 17, where today we wrap up this series about Jesus. And today you're going to need to get ready to flip quickly through the gospel because our text stretches from chapter 5 to chapter 20 in order for uh, us to observe some repeated uh, behaviors in regards to the people around Christ throughout his entire public life. Ministry. Now, if you're paying attention, you, as we hit these passages, you will begin to see a thread. And if you're really paying attention, you'll start making application to, you know, what does this have to do uh, with us? But stay with me. I promise uh, as we blast through this that uh, there's going to be a point to the whole thing. You know, every now and then I have a point. Uh, now, you'll remember a few weeks ago we were in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus was in his home synagogue And they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, and he opened up and he read that passage where Isaiah promised one who would come to free the captives and give sight to the blind and and free the oppressed and uh, take care of the poor and take care of Jews and Gentiles alike. And powerful passage. They were used to hearing that passage. And then normally a rabbi would would sit down and then talk a little bit about, well, we're we're looking forward to whoever this anointed one is, and when he comes, we're going to love him, and so forth and so on. Well, Jesus sits down, and he says, well, he's here. It's me. And so everyone get behind what I'm saying. Get behind what I'm doing. And here we go. Well, the folks in his hometown who saw him grow up, you know, who wiped his nose and changed his diapers as a little one, they are like, yeah, he's not you. I don't know what happened to you out there. And you are doing a good job as a rabbi, but you've obviously lost it. And now you're speaking blasphemy. So they took him out to the top of the hill, and they were going to push him off the hill, actually, which is kind of sad when your hometown fans do that, but uh, it wasn't his time to go yet, so he slipped away. And then in chapter 5, he's teaching in a house, and uh, the place is full. And it's not just full of supporters, there are also critics there. The Pharisees and the scribes are there, uh, the Bible teachers, they're called scribes, and they're just this uber-religious thought police that want to make sure that if there's a rabbi out there that's really popular, that they're in charge of him and uh, approving what he does or doesn't uh, do. And so these guys followed Jesus everywhere, like internet trolls, just looking for something that they could criticize uh, with something that Jesus did. And on this particular day, uh, recorded in Luke 5.17, some local men bring their quadriplegic friend on a mat for Jesus to heal the guy and uh, they can't get in the front door, and so they climb up on the roof, and they haul this guy up onto the roof of the house and over, and then they opened up the roof of uh, this Middle Eastern house, which wouldn't actually be that difficult to do, but, I mean, you know, still, it's kind of crazy, and they lower him down uh, right in front of Jesus. 
And we pick up the story in chapter 5, verse 20, where when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, friend, your, your sins are forgiven. Well, the Pharisees perked up. They looked over at the teachers of the law, and they began thinking to themselves, who does this guy think he is? Speaking blasphemy, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he says, why are you guys thinking these things? Which is easier for me to say? Uh, your, your, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. But uh, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, get up and take your, take your mat and go home. And immediately the guy stood up, and everyone was absolutely amazed. And they're praising God, filled with awe. We've seen wonderful things, they all said. Well, right after that, uh, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. And we know him as later Matthew, writes the Gospel of Matthew. But this was the day they met. And he's sitting at this tax booth, and Jesus said, follow me. And, and, and Levi left everything and started following Jesus from that day forward. And he, he put together a really nice meal for Jesus at his house. And he invited all his tax collector friends um, over, and they were eating with him. Well, tax collectors were despised by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because they were collaborators with Rome. So the Pharisees complained to the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, well, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, righteous, I don't know. John's disciples fast and pray, and so do the Pharisees' disciples. How come you guys don't fast? And Jesus answered, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those days, they will fast and they will pray. All right, so let's pause there. You see the thread with Christ's enemies uh, criticizing him. And, you know, it's somewhat like what some of you face, where you have uh, folks even in your own home who aren't following after Christ. You're here alone today. And, uh, or you may have relatives that are going to join you for Thanksgiving, and they're going to roll their eyes when you say a meaningful prayer, and you want to talk about, you know, hey, we're, it's Thanksgiving, so let's actually be thankful uh, to God. So you're already bracing for that. You know what that's like. Or maybe some of you have friends at work, and you've, you've tried to, you know, to do what we say. Go share your faith at work. And it hasn't gone so well because they're critical of you. And, uh, you know, they might even make little comments. You know, well, how was your Sunday? I enjoyed mine. You, you were over there sitting in church. Uh, and they just, whatever reason, they're reacting against Christ. So they're reacting against you and watching you to criticize you. Well, in Jesus' day, his greatest critics were the Pharisees. Then in so in chapter 6, these Bible Nazis went after Christ's students, accusing them of violating Sabbath law by grabbing a quick snack. Uh, the Pharisees had long lists of things you could not do on Sabbath. Anything that vaguely resembled work was not allowed. God forbid you would pick a handful of barley grain and dust off the chaff and pop it in your mouth. Oh, that's work. You know, this is a Saturday. You're not supposed to do that. Sabbath. To which Jesus replied, I'm the Lord of Saturdays. I'm the Lord of every day. And they loved it when he talked like that. The Pharisees were like, yeah, of course you are. You know, we get it. You're, you're, you're in charge of Sabbath. You're Isaiah's anointed Messiah. You forgive sins. You eat with sinners. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jesus is like, right, you guys are getting me. That's awesome. 
So then on that same day, and you can read this in Luke chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus heads for synagogue. It's Sabbath. He always went to synagogue. And uh, they run into, in synagogue, there's this poor guy there, and only, he only has one hand that he can use. The other hand has been shriveled up, and either from birth or some kind of accident. Um, and uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, Luke says, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And they thought, you know, he might heal this guy on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he says to the man with a shriveled hand, come up here and just, let's just be here together. And the guy stood up. And then Jesus says, I got a question for you guys. Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do uh, evil, to, to save life or to destroy life? Well, you know, they're like, well, we, we, how are we going to answer that? Uh, and so nobody said anything. And so Christ says, well, I, I didn't think you had an answer. So he said, I have an answer. And he says to the guy, stretch forth your hand. And the guy stretched out his hand and, and he was completely restored. Then Luke tells us the Pharisees were furious and begin to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And this is only chapter 6. The Pharisees hated Christ from the get-go. Uh, not all of them, of course, but most of them. I mean, we know about Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to faith. We know about Saul of Tarsus who came later. But for the most part, these religious guys saw this very popular rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, as a, as a false teacher encouraging people to disobey Scripture and unravel everything that they had worked so hard for. See, the Pharisees' agenda was for everyone to observe strict obedience to the Old Testament law, all of it, all of the regulations in Exodus, all the regulations in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They wanted every Jew to obey the law because they were convinced that God had brought Rome in to punish Israel for moral and spiritual compromise. So if, every, if we can get everybody back to the Bible and back to obeying all of it, God will notice that and then he'll reward our repentance by sending his Messiah who will cast Rome off and uh, we can successfully uh, rebel. So their concern was that this unkosher Nazarene rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, was taking people in the opposite direction. I mean, he had recently said that the Old Testament wasn't as relevant to them as they thought, and they really could just obey all the law of the Old Testament if they would just love God with all their heart and love their neighbors as much as they loved themselves. All right, so back to the point where some of the Pharisees seemed to, to, to at least be willing to hear Jesus out even inviting him into their own homes. Like in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Let's go there now. Luke seven thirty-six. one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. But then someone crashed the party. There was a woman in the town with a, not a good reputation. And she shows up in the room where the men were eating. And she comes up behind Jesus. And you know how back then they, they didn't sit in chairs. They sat on the floor, kind of reclining there at the table. And just the food's right there in front of you. And it's just delicious and wonderful. And uh, you take your time. And, um, and this is actually why there were one of the reasons why there were only men. Because you're kind of reclining on each other. So it didn't seem to be, you know... They're just men there. And the women were having their meal in another room. That's how, they, that's how they did it. But here this woman enters the room of a Pharisee's house, and they, they know who she is and what she's known for. 
And uh, she comes up behind Jesus, and she's just weeping. And, you know, his, everyone's feet are kind of behind them there as they sit. And she's just weeping, and her tears are just washing his feet. I mean, she's sobbing. And she, she goes, oh, so she gets down. She lets her hair down. You're not, you're not supposed to let your hair down. And she lets her hair down. And she's wiping his feet with her hair. And then she has this, this, uh, this jar of expensive uh, um, perfume, fragrance, oil. And she, she pours it on his feet. And then she's wiping his, his hair more. Well, the Pharisee, it says that Luke tells us in verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, well, that's all I need to know about Jesus because if he were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman that she is. She's a sinner. And Jesus read his thoughts uh, again and he said, Simon, uh, I have something to tell you. Um, two people owed money to a certain money lender, and one owed them 500 denarii, and one owed him 50 denarii, but neither one of them had the money to pay, so he just forgave them both. Now, Simon, here's my question. Which of them will love him more? And Simon responded, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, exactly right. And then he turned toward the woman, but said to Simon, uh, do you see this woman? And Simon's like, yeah, we all see her, Lord. Uh, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. There he goes again. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Well, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Um, go in peace. Well, this is so wonderful. On so many accounts, um, Jesus was such a liberator of women and so respectful uh, of, uh, of women. But uh, as beautiful as this forgiveness story is for us to read, uh, it was really confusing for the dinner guests that afternoon. Um, instead of avoiding contact with her and asking her to leave, he did the opposite. And then he told her that it was her faith in him that had forgiven her sins. Okay, so this set off the Pharisees. Um, and, and there's something more you need to know about these guys before we move on, because they were not what they seemed. Let's go to Luke chapter 11, verse 37 where things started really coming to a head now as Jesus called them out for who they really were and not for who they appeared to be. Luke eleven thirty seven. 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with them. So there they are again, inviting him over. So he went in, reclined at the table. But the Pharisee noticed that Jesus did not wash before the meal and was surprised. Now, this is not the same as our world where, you know, you come in for a meal and you should wash your hands before you eat. Everyone knows that. But this isn't that. This is the ceremonial washing that any good Jew will do, and there's a way to do it, and, and, and everyone does it. And it's like, it's like saying, I'm Jewish, and I'm washing my hands, cleansing my hands before uh, I take what God has given me. It's kind of like a blessing before the meal. If you don't do it, it's considered really, I don't know, just pagan. Like, you're supposed to do this. Uh, but he didn't. And he just sat down. And he did it to make a point because he knew they would notice because they, they noticed everything. And uh, so then Jesus spoke to them. And he said, you know, the deal with you Pharisees, you are real good at washing the outside of the cup, uh, cleaning, the, cleaning it. But inside, 
you never, you, you're filthy inside. Greed, wickedness, um, you're foolish. Uh, did not the one who made the outside make the inside uh, also? Uh, give what's inside the dish to the poor, and then that will cleanse you. That'll clean you. Uh, because as pious as the Pharisees wanted to appear, their religion had only washed the outside of the cup. And Jesus tells them that their greed proved that. Uh, on the outside, they looked like they were doing their part, but Jesus knew what everyone else knew. These guys were really rich. So the 10% they gave the temple really wasn't, didn't hurt them at all. And especially the way they did it. They always made sure everyone was aware, you know. But they kept most of their money for themselves. And according to the Lord, uh, only generosity with the poor would be what would scrub them clean. But generosity wasn't in their playbook. Somehow, for all their Bible study, they had missed the part about sharing extravagantly with the poor. So Jesus calls them out. Woe to you, Pharisees. You give God a tenth of your mint and all your spices and garden herbs, but you've neglected justice and the love of God. They literally told themselves that if they gave God 10% of everything they produced, and not just their money, I mean everything, you know, nine sprigs of mint, one for the Lord. And so self-righteous, and, and, and he says... You're doing that while at the very time, you guys have the power to fight for justice for the poor and, 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 and share the love of God. But their love was for themselves and their love was for uh, obedience to Scripture, not for the Lord and definitely not for other people. And Jesus says, you know what you love more than God? You love the most important seats in the synagogue. And you love the greetings in the marketplaces. You, you, he says, you know, you, you remind me of an unmarked grave that someone would just walk over and not know. And then one of the experts of the law spoke up. Teacher, he said, you know, when you say these things, you're insulting us also. And Jesus said, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I get it. You experts in the law, uh, woe to you also because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And then you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. All you do is add rule after rule. All the things that you say people have to do to make heaven. But you never tell them how to obey the rules, how they're going to fulfill all of these obligations. My friends, these people had 614 obligations that they had, they had mined out of the Old Testament rules. He says, you don't teach people scripture in order to get them closer to God. As a matter of fact, the result of your teaching pushes people away from God. Skip down to verse 52. Woe to you, experts of the law, because you've taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, but you've hindered everyone else who was trying to enter. You have God hidden away under lock and key, and you're not even in there with him. And that, friends, is why Jesus came. He came to blow up that door, to blow up that lock. And he even said, I'm the door to getting into knowing the Father. I'm the key. And that's why he constantly confronted these guys, because they were literally standing in the way between people and his merciful Father. All right, so this is one of the things that made Jesus extremely popular. The healings and the teaching. That's why people came. And uh, the more simple his gospel became, I mean, his gospel could even be understood by children. Uh, and, and it was appealed to common people, even uneducated people, people who were never going to live up to all the rules and the regulations. So therefore, it kept them dependent on the priests. It kept them dependent on the religious power guys. Jesus released them from all that, and he gave them a detour around all of that religious um, stuff, 
right into the throne room of God. And so people loved him. And it got to the point by chapter 11 where thousands were following Jesus. Look at uh, there. Uh, it says a, th- a crowd of many thousands had gathered. They were trampling on one another. And Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. And he says, you know what? Be on your guard against the yeast of the, the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. See, the Pharisees are not what they seem to be. Underneath that veneer of obeying the rules, they were faking it. And Jesus called them for what it was. He called it hypocrisy. Now, we know this word hypocrisy, but back then, the word hypocrite wasn't necessarily a negative word. Jesus took it from the Greek theater. It just means an actor. Israel's spiritual leaders are acting like spiritual leaders, but they're not. They're just actors on a religious stage. So beware of these guys, because all they can teach you to do is act religiously. Well, when Jesus talked like that in public, the opposition intensified. Go with me to Luke chapter 13, verse 10. And hopefully you're still with me. Are you? Are you seeing the thread here? Are you seeing Jesus didn't just come to save sinful people. He came to save religious people who were also sinful but didn't think they were uh, sinful. Where am I? Acts 13, verse 10. Yeah, Uh, there's this on the Sabbath. Uh, and, and Luke is constantly telling us that Jesus is purposely doing these things on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, Jesus is teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up. Oh, and praised God. And the leader of the synagogue who would have known this woman, who should have been happy, here's what he said. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader, the local pastor, said to the people, hey, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days and not on the Sabbath. Well, thank you, pastor. What a sweetheart. The Lord just, he couldn't take it. You hypocrites, he said. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox? Or your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound, tied up for 18 long years in, in her stall, shouldn't she be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? See, Jesus is redefining Sabbath as a place and time where people are set free. And it's not work for God at all. He's not even violating Sabbath. It's not work for God to do this. Uh, it's as easy as untying an ox and taking it out for a drink. And yet, these people are so bound up in their religion, they can't see how their religion is actually keeping them from compassion. Well, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted at the wonderful, 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 wonderful things that Jesus was doing. And friends, when you're looking for a church, you move to another town... Look for a church where the church is making it easy for people to meet Christ and they're teaching people how wonderful Jesus is. And then when they gather, whether it's in small groups or auditoriums, Jesus is doing wonderful things that people can witness and thank God for. All right, quickly we move to chapter 16. Uh, Jesus is teaching and he's talking about money and he's saying, money is like a master and no one can serve two masters. Either will hate the one and love the other, or who will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And then Luke says, and I love this verse, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus, sneering. He said to them, you guys are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What's highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Well, as the, the final months of, that, uh, uh, of the, that year of ministry before his crucifixion went by, Christ would continue to confront these pious hypocrites. Luke 18, 9, we read that he saw some prideful religious folks in the crowd that day. Verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. (laughs) Oh, boy. When you listen to people pray, it tells you a lot, doesn't it? God, he says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this guy right here. (laughs) I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. I'm pretty much awesome. Uh, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke chapter 20, verse 6. We are now weeks before his arrest, and Jesus speaks out again. Beware, he says, of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces, have the most important seats in the synagogue, the places of honor at the banquets. Yet they devour widows' houses and show, make a show of lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished severely. See, this is crazy when someone comes and, and calls out the priesthood, calls out the pastors, calls out the so-called Christian leaders and says, they're gonna, they're, these, these are the ones that are going to be punished. Not all of them, but the ones that are, that are hypocrites. So these hypocrites, they opposed Jesus during his entire ministry, but he, he rose to the opposition, and the crowds loved it because before Jesus came, these were the most respected men in Israel, but once Jesus pointed out the hypocrisy and their true agenda, uh, asking, you know, how can a man pray an eloquent prayer in the, mor- in the morning and then go and kick a, a, a widow out of her house after her husband has died because women aren't supposed to own property. And then the house is empty and he buys the house, increasing his real estate portfolio. Um, how can that religious man leave worship and walk right past the poor beggar at the gates? How can they be willing to allow a person to suffer just because it's Sabbath? How could religion keep piling on more and more obligation and never teaching people about a merciful God that forgives Sin. Jesus said that any religion that ignores justice, ignores mercy, ignores the widow, ignores the orphan, ignores the prisoner, ignores the foreigner, ignores the prisoner, any religion that segregates sinners from saints and makes the saints feel all special and wonderful and makes the sinners just feel awful about themselves, that religion is hypocrisy. And any way, any religion that helps the religious leadership get rich on the backs of the people that are giving to God that's hypocrisy. It's a lie. So you got the Pharisees. They're expecting Messiah to come and lead a rebellion against Rome. And Messiah comes and leads a rebellion against the Pharisees. Jesus saves his most harsh condemnation, not for the Roman occupiers or even for the local sinners, but for the religious hypocrites. And he's still that way. 
he holds the leadership of the church to an extremely high standard. Because the leadership is representing God to people. And Jesus is about truth. Not just about people coming to church but, but, but to learn about truth, but for people to go out on Monday through Friday and to live out truth. He even said, I am the truth. So anyone claiming to know God, anyone claiming to follow Jesus, would follow after and pursue truth. I'm talking about truth that reveals that person's flaws and faults. Where the person says, yeah, I'm, I'm just a saved sinner. That's all I am. I mean, the only time you would ever look to me as your example is, is because of the, the things that God has done in my life, which I don't even take credit for. Like the Apostle Paul said, the former Pharisee, he goes, I don't boast in any of my achievements. I boast only in Christ. This is the kind of person you need discipling you. This is the kind of older Christians that you need in your life. Humble. Yes, they know the word of God, but their goal is not to get you to memorize more scripture. Their goal is to get you to imitate Christ himself. Their goal is to get you to share extravagantly with the poor and to bring acceptance to people that other people have rejected. Micah the prophet said it so well. He really described Christ's personality and even just laid out three expectations for us. He says, God has shown mankind what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with God. Can you remember? That's, that's what God requires of you. Can you remember those things? What was the first one? Can you act justly this week? What's the second one? Love mercy, not love condemnation, not love when somebody gets what they deserve. Love mercy, celebrate mercy. And what's the last one? Walk humbly with God. I love, I, and I love that Micah doesn't give us a longer list because I can't remember more than three things. And I can't live up to all the religious expectations that people will lay out for me or for you. So Jesus comes to release us of those things, and he, he narrows it down to two things, and we talk about those two things a lot. Things that you can do, things that are simple to remember. And if we, if we claim to be his followers, we must live out these things, or anything else is just religious hypocrisy. Now, at the end, uh, it was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who got together with their, actually their, their enemies, the Sadducees. They didn't really like these guys, but they all hated Jesus, so it worked for them. And they're the ones who convinced Pontius Pilate to have Rome crucify Christ, all because he had exposed their hypocrisy and threaten their honored place in society. You know, powerful people don't like it when you call out their hypocrisy. But Jesus is God's truth. So he just couldn't ignore it. It upset him to know in that these awful men were given places of honor when they should have been called to repentance. And you know, I know I'm talking to some folks one of the reasons you avoided church for so long, it matter maybe some of you that are online today, and you're, you know, you're still kind of avoiding church. Uh, and, and you're, but you have a good reason. It was the hypocrisy that you personally witnessed. Maybe there was a, a person or a group that was supposedly were supposed to represent Christ, and they didn't. And uh, they, they judged you, or they judged someone that you love, and... Uh, you just said, I, that's done, I, I, I'm done. I mean, these are people that can quote chapter and verse, but they never imitate Christ. And imagine that that has soured your view of the church. And you know what? I don't blame you. And I also want you to know that Jesus 
uh, agrees with you about hypocrisy. He doesn't want hypocrites representing him to you. He's after truth. It's truth that got him in trouble with the liars. And his truth is nothing like the religious lies that are still out there. It's truth that sets us free, not secrets. And not acting like Christians. Jesus wants everyone who can hear my voice to act truthfully and live honestly in transparency before other people. And you know what? When we do that, you automatically walk humbly with God because people see your flaws. And when a a troll sees your flaws, they jump on it as if they discovered what you revealed. And you're like, you know what? If If that makes you happy, go ahead. You're right. If it wasn't for God's mercy, where would I be? You're right about me. I'm not perfect. But see, the thing is, if someone who's genuinely seeking after Christ, like Nicodemus was, you might be surprised who will come your direction and say, you know, I've been watching you for a long time, and uh, you're not perfect, but you're real. And that's what you want to hear people say. I think that I would like to know more about Jesus. And I just pray that Cornerstone can be that kind of church family. I pray that we would... Never be the kind of church where a Pharisee could remain comfortable for very long. Because the Pharisee needs to repent. And uh, I've even noticed as I've studied this passage, I've, you know, the Pharisaic thoughts really do creep back in. Where you start thinking that you're better than other people. And, you know, even as I was preparing this message, I thought of a couple people I know who I hope would listen to it because they're Pharisees. And the Lord totally spoke to my heart. And he says, well, I actually know three. <laughs> and I was like, oh! So as we take communion today, um, I think we could all examine our own hearts. Asking the Holy Spirit to shine light on any spiritual pride and on any Bible knowledge we have that we're not living out. Because that's Phariseeism, to know Scripture and not live it out. We should once again look within ourselves for any religious hypocrisy and then just say, Lord, before I take communion, wash me clean again. Your broken body, the brokenness there, Lord, represents brokenness that needs to happen again in my life. The blood that was shed represents a cleansing that I need again. Wash me clean so that today I'll live out. uh, This week I'll be out there loving justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with you. I'll be out there loving God with all my heart. And loving my neighbor as much as I love myself. Father, as we approach communion now, and we take the cup and the bread and we think about these things, I just pray that Cornerstone would continue to become the church that Pharisees love to hate. And if there are haters out there, it would not be people that, um, that we've, we've offended them by not acting like you. If we offend anyone, Lord Jesus, we want it to be because we acted like you. But the only way we can do that is if you wash us clean of our agendas and all of our needs for recognition and all of our greed. And Jesus, just cleanse us once again. Send us out into this week pure and holy before you. In Christ's name, amen.